Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Have you ever wondered about how the world transitioned between the fighting of the Second World War and into the politics, the brinksmanship, the great power tensions of the Cold War? Well, we have Professor Caroline Kennedy-Pipe, who The Guardian states is one of the UK's leading scholars of war, and she's the author of Russia and the World since 1917 and Stalin's Cold War. She's here to explain what seems like a small bit of history. That's the invasion of Bornholm, a small Danish island, invaded by the Soviet forces. But actually, it provides us a window through which we can explore that entire period post-1945. This is the History Hit World Wars podcast, and we are dedicated to that period between 1914 and 1945. And I know that this podcast is going to give you an unbridled glimpse into what was a tense transition period for the great powers. Enjoy. This is such a strange part of Second World War history, Caroline, and I'm really excited to get stuck into it because, as I understood it, Denmark was occupied by Nazi Germany from April 1940, and it remained occupied until May 1945, when German troops in Denmark surrendered, and then the British forces came through and liberated the country. But your research has thrown up a whole neglected chapter of Second World War history, because not all of Denmark was liberated in May 1945, was it? Yes, that's right. So the story of Bornholm, the island in the Baltic Sea, which is under Danish sovereignty, is rather an unusual chapter at the end of the Second World War. So Bornholm, which is a very beautiful place and now a tourist destination, even with COVID-19, at the Yalta Conference in February 1945, it was agreed that the dividing line between the East and the West would lie along the River Elbe. Now, Bornholm as an island is well to the east of that agreed line. So at Yalta, what we have is the agreement that Bornholm really, which is occupied, as you say, by the Germans like the rest of Denmark, has a somewhat ambiguous position. And what happens at the end of the Second World War is that Berlin, as we know, fell to Soviet forces on the 30th of April. And we know about the fierce urban warfare that Soviet forces engaged in to take Berlin. 
And remember that the British and the Americans had stood aside to allow Soviet forces to take the brunt of that assault against the German capital. Now, at the end of April, what Churchill, the British Prime Minister, fears is a race for Danish soil. Rightly or wrongly, and some very eminent Danish historians believe that this fear was unfounded, what Churchill fears is that Soviet forces might advance and take a portion of Denmark. So there is at this point a jostling, a manoeuvring, because as Stalin famously remarked, whoever occupies a territory, usually the ideology prevails. So Churchill fears this. So what we have is the Americans liberating Greenland, the British liberating the main, if I can call it that, and you will correct me, main part of Denmark. And then here's the rub, the Russians race and occupy the island of Bornholm. So as you point out, on the 4th of May, the Germans surrender. The Germans are defeated. Hitler, one of your specialist areas, has, of course, committed suicide. But the Germans are still on Bornholm and their German commander on the island, von Kampz, has orders to surrender only to the British. And so what we have here are the Germans resisting on the island of Bornholm, even after the German surrender. And the reason is it's of enormous geopolitical or geostrategic importance to the Germans because it means they can keep escape routes to the west open. And it means that those prisoners of war on the island might be liberated by the Russians, but it's a corridor and an avenue of access away for the Germans from what they fear will be marauding Soviet forces heading their way. So what we have is an interesting episode, which is Bornholm appears to be different to the rest of Denmark because the Germans are still resisting the liberation of the Allied forces. And in this case, they're resisting the Soviet forces. Now, the Anglo-American forces under Eisenhower are quite clear that Bornholm must have the same status as the rest of Denmark. Eisenhower says this himself on the 7th of May. But on that very same day, Soviet aircraft appear over the island of Bornholm. They drop leaflets and the British, who have, of course, liberated the main part of Denmark, begin to suspect Soviet motives. So is this a case of an ever-shrewd Stalin, that fearsome wartime leader, duping Roosevelt and Churchill at Yalta? Is this him trying to get a foothold into Denmark and project power across Western Europe? Well, now that's the big question for historians studying this period, in the sense that there was always a fear that Soviet forces would push as far west as they possibly could in order, after the defeat of Germany, to hold territory and, of course, accrue land, resources and valuables. And the mythology that swirls around Bornholm is intriguing. You know, the idea that it has nuclear sites or nuclear assets and that the Russians or the Soviet forces, as they were, want this. But in my view, I think it's more pragmatic. I think that at the end of the war, Major General Richard Dewing, the British commander, has flown into Copenhagen on the 5th of May. He accepts the German surrender. And Dewing himself, his diaries are kept at King's College London, believes that what might happen on Bornholm is that the Soviet forces might establish permanent military bases. However, most historians would agree that this is purely opportunistic 
by the Soviet forces that they see an opportunity to storm onto the island to perhaps inflict yet more injury on German forces and to hold on to this particular patch of the Baltic. And of course, we see this now with the pressure on the Baltic states from Mr. Putin. This is an important area, both for the Soviet Union and for Russia. So the point is that the Russians or the Soviet leadership appear to have something of an advantage here. And the Danes, the Danish leadership, having been liberated, keep this very, very quiet that the Soviet forces have stormed onto the island because that would have cast something of a gloomy atmosphere over the rather joyous liberation of Denmark and its escape from fascist German occupation. So the Bornholmers are bombed, 10 Danes are killed, and 7,000, we think, Soviet troops arrive onto the island to occupy it for 11 months. And so even though the war has ended in Europe, there's this period of occupation by Soviet forces, which causes enormous consternation to the Danes, who want to get back to democracy, to shed the legacy, if that's at all possible, of fascist occupation, and to play a very clear role in the emerging Western alliance, and particularly with the British. And we know that in those last months of the war, the Danish resistance, both in the main part of Denmark, but also actually on the island of Bornholm, have been busily working to undermine fascist influence. And here's the thing. The war in Europe has ended, and the Soviet forces are sitting on a piece of Denmark. So is there much resistance here? Let's talk about the invasion itself. Are the German forces trying to fight off the Soviet Red Army? Are the resistance fighters on Bornholm taking part in this? Is there much of a battle? Oh, the Germans, as one would expect. You know, the commander's a holder of an iron cross, I believe. Yeah, they put up a real fight. And it is argued, again, we would need to look in more detail, that they will obey orders from the top to surrender, but they want to hold out so they can surrender the island to the British. Now here Henry Dewing is interesting because there appears to have been attempts on the British side to get to the island and to hold back the Soviet occupying forces. But Dewing himself in his diaries remarks he was glad he didn't have to go to Bornholm and subdue the Germans and he was glad he wasn't going to have to put his oar into that particular whirlpool. And he worries in his diaries that he will be accused later of giving up Bornholm. The Danes don't want the Germans to resist, so this is a very mixed picture. But what emerges out of it is what some Danish historians have called a very benign occupation of the island. So the Soviet forces come in, there is a surrender, U-boats apparently are scuttled all around the island. This is a hugely interesting history. And Soviet forces arrive, including Soviet female soldiers who are a source of some wonderment to local Bornholmers, if we can call them that. And they settle in for an occupation and nobody knows how long it's going to last. And here the Danes are very clever, as they have been during the war. They're extremely upset about the Soviet occupation, but they try and work with the Soviet authorities and indeed Stalin himself to work to a solution in which the island will be finally freed of foreign interference and presence. And here's the thing, and you'll know this from the excellent museum on the island of Bornholm, there appears to be a degree of cooperation between 
the arable land, the people of Bornholm and the occupiers. There are rumours of parties and of really a very good atmosphere and the Danish royal family of course lead that example. And then there's a darker history which we yet to have more work on about what actually happened between the Soviet occupiers, whether there was a degree of violence. There's certainly an incidence of one rape, but the narrative is one of cooperation. While the Danes and the British work very hard to persuade Stalin in what I call in my work and others have criticised me for, a kind of quid pro quo in which Bornholm will be released from Soviet occupation and become, again, part of this renewed democratic Denmark. But there's 10 or 11 very anxious months in which the negotiations go to and fro. Very mysteriously, Soviet forces melt away and are seen off from the harbour by the locals. And seen off, I mean, in a benign way. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I mean, this doesn't sound like your usual Soviet invasion. You've got cooperation. You've got you know, more of a, a narrative of, of liberation as opposed to anything else. Does this tie into the way in which the Bornholmers were treated? What was it like day to day on the island? How did the soldiers live? Because when you contrast this to more of a conventional history, it really doesn't fit into how we think about the you know, Soviet invasion of the Baltics. Absolutely. And let us not be in any doubt that Stalin and the Soviet authorities lived very well off Danish land in Bornholm, that firewood, arable, crops, milk. Yes, the troops lived well. And let's face it, after the Eastern Front, this must have been quite a pleasant posting for Soviet forces. And indeed, as the winter of 1945 begins to dawn, local Bornholmers do give up firewood. Houses are built into the woods and forests for the occupation forces. And I would agree with you, 
we would need to dig far deeper to see what day-to-day -day relations were actually like. Coincidentally, on hearing and seeing some of the work that you and I have done on this, the husband of a Bornholmer who remembers the Soviet occupation was telling me that occupation troops did live really rather well. There was a degree of resentment amongst the locals and there was a particular irritation between the young Bornholm females and perhaps the roughness and brutality of Soviet forces. But here we need to be cautious and we need to do more digging and perhaps look at the evidence in the museums. Tell me more about these frontline female fighters in the Soviet Red Army that had been deployed to Bornholm. What was their role here? Again, a different and a new kind of history. As you know, in much of the work that we have looked at in terms of women in combat, women on the front line, there's always been this view of brave Soviet female soldiers. It's been much remarked upon the sacrifice of female soldiers on the Eastern Front. And of course, we have many Soviet tales of heroic female warriors in that particular brutal encounter with the Germans. What's interesting looking at the photographs which are available from the archives on Bornholm, there are undoubtedly female, the sources tell me, were regarded as Amazons, fearsome looking female soldiers, but we don't know what role they actually played. And we do also know that certainly other Russian females arrived on the island to keep the Soviet soldiers company. So we would need to do more digging, but they certainly exist, they certainly are in uniform, and they're there on the island, and they are commented on by local communities. That is such an intriguing part of history that needs, well, more historians to dig deep into this and unearth the facts behind it. But you also mentioned that the Soviets, well, leave without a bullet being fired. They sail off into the darkness. Why did Stalin choose to leave? There were a number, as you can imagine, interpretations. The first is that Stalin in 1946 was coming under enormous pressure from Harry Truman about the Soviet prolonged occupation in Iran, in northern Iran. And remember famously, Truman remarks that he will give it uh, to the Soviet Union with both barrels unless they remove themselves from northern Iran, as had been agreed during the war. So partly, this could be a revisionist history, which points, as I did in my work in the 1990s, to the fact that Stalin did give up territory, contrary to the main interpretations, and that he was willing still, in early 1946, to cooperate with the West in a bid, perhaps at this point a futile bid, to keep the Grand Alliance going. So we could see the issue of Bornholm as part and parcel of a retreat, a withdrawal, from those spaces or places which had begun to antagonise the Anglo-American Soviet relationship. This could be, and we know Stalin was a master chess player, also a recognition that a Soviet foothold in Scandinavia was simply not viable at this point. Having annexed, if we can use that word, and I think we should, the Baltic states, Bornholm was more controversial because of Danish sovereignty. Therefore, the question is, in 1946, particularly with the shadow of Hiroshima and Nagasaki hanging over the alliance, perhaps Stalin felt and came to believe it wasn't worth pushing the Anglo-American alliance on Danish sovereignty. I think what's also interesting 
is that there were discussions during that year after the liberation of Europe about what exactly the position of the British would be in Northern Europe and the North Atlantic. And for example, the situation of the Faroe Islands, of Greenland itself, of Iceland and of Norway. And indeed, there are discussions about whether Bornholm could be used as a bargaining chip. And if, for example, the British forces in Greece could be used as a parallel. If the British get out of Greece, will the Soviet Union get off Bornholm? And those take places. And of course, the Faroe Islands also are important because there is discussion about whether the removal of all British forces from the Faroe Islands and a formal handover could be an example which would be useful to the Danish government in connection with the presence of Russian troops in Bornholm. So there is this intense anxiety that the Soviet Union is going to sit on Bornholm and there is a scurrying on the British side in particular to look at where British troops can be withdrawn to set an example. Now here's the thing, there is this period it seems to me that's very interesting in the origins of the Cold War where some cooperation, where some flexibility on the Soviet side is plainly evident and where Stalin seems to want, in terms of a greater cooperation, not to antagonize the British in particular uh, in the North Atlantic or what we might now call, you know, the higher North. So troop trading is of enormous symbolic interest here. And of course, the Danes in themselves want Denmark liberated and reunited because the Danish authorities are clearly aware that the Bornholmers feel left behind in terms of Danish sovereignty. And so what we have, I think, is a very interesting small piece of history where the Russians prove to be amenable, but also have very clear limits to their reach. You know, having secured the Baltic states, having really this word Finlandization of Finland, perhaps they've got what they wanted and don't want to push any further. Bornholm may be a, a pretty small island, but it appears to have quite a big role to play in helping us to understand the end of the Second World War. You started talking about, you know, these these bombing campaigns from the air, of the towns in Bornholm, of Red Army troops invading the island and being pitted against German Nazi forces. But now we're talking about great power politics, the balance of power, the the delicate decisions made about where to withdraw troops. Can we start to consider Bornholm as perhaps a place where the Cold War began? Well, I think so. And I'm sure many Danish historians who've worked for their entire careers on this would say that. I think what we need to remember in the bigger picture is that this is a relatively small instance it's very important but small if we look at the soviet occupation generally of east and central europe if we look at the tremendous human sacrifices made on all sides germany of course remains absolutely the key to the european settlement and in this period of course there's japan to be liberated and one of the interesting features of this is that the danes want bornholm and the island brought up and discussed at Potsdam, the conference, of course, which ends the Second World War, really. And, and, and it's thought not appropriate at this point when there's so much else going on. So it's important to Danish historians, I think it's important to the 
origins of the Cold War, but I think in the bigger picture, we need to see this as a small and perhaps the outlier, if we're being completely honest. And as you yourself said earlier, James, looking at the brutality of the occupation of the Baltic states, uh, what happens throughout Central and Eastern Europe, this is an odd example. An odd example, yeah, but it's absolutely captivating. Thank you so much for coming on, Caroline. What's next? What's your next research project? Are you going to focus more on Bornholm? Well, I think that the work of younger Danish historians has been instrumental in informing those of us outside that particular milieu to the details of the occupation. I mean, the nature of surrender, that's a bigger question that we can look at in terms of what happens on Bornholm. And as you said, the nature of a surrender and how the occupation then unfolds and why, if we're correct, that it was a relatively benign and managed occupation. Caroline, thank you so much. And if anyone wants to read more about this, they can read your article, Stalin's Danish Mystery, which was written for History Today and is available now online. Caroline, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Rogers. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hit. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.